you'll remain standing with me. And if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 11. Our scripture reading this morning is Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. We'll remain standing in the honor of the reading of God's word. This is our scripture this morning, and it is a really, really good one. These are the words of Jesus. And whereas normally, as in our series, he's been talking to his disciples, his close followers, um, I believe that this scripture is written in the context of not only his close followers, but to the masses. I think everyone that was following him, he was speaking these words to them. And so whether you feel close or far from God this morning, whether you know Christ, you don't know him very much, these words are for you. But Matthew 11, verses 25 through 30, this is the word of the Lord. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated at this time. Well, I want to welcome you into White Oak this morning, and I just want to say that for you guys braving the storm and making it out today, you were awesome. Uh, We usually don't have um, this many people when it's like really nasty weather outside, um, but you guys are legit. So give yourself a round of applause, right, for coming out to church. And really quick before I dive in, um, I don't know all the details, so I might butcher this, uh, but I think we have a marching band from Hardin-Simmons University that is with us this morning. Uh, They're here because they were in the parade this weekend. So if that's you, will you stand with us? And if I said that wrong, would you uh, pardon me? Amen. Thank you guys for joining us. We've got a lot of musical talent in the building this morning. So, uh, so it's going to be a good morning, um, and as always, I just want to introduce myself. My name is John Wethington. I'm the lead pastor here at White Oak, and I'm so honored to be with you. Um, I hope the sermon this morning is helpful to you, and I've entitled it, Rest for the Weary. The title is Rest for the Weary, and so let's be honest, in life, we all need this, right? I don't care where you're coming from this morning, um, where your life is at, what you've been going through. Um, we're all weary, we're all tired, we're all facing stuff, and I think as always, we come here to the house of the Lord needing a word from the Lord this morning. And um, as always, I do want to also just honor James for the the great introduction he gave us earlier to um, our senior adult elderly ministry that we have here at the church. Um, I would encourage you to kind of be a part of those things. Uh, Last week we talked about our homeless ministry, and this week we're talking about our elderly ministry. And so uh, please be in prayer for those people, and please uh, be in touch with us if you want to be a part of those things. Um, We think one of the most godly things that we can do in a culture that really does glorify the the young is honor the saints that are among us that have served for so long. 
Um, over the past few years, we've had a lot of uh, new younger people kind of coming into the church, which is exciting. Um, and yet we want to be a blended and diverse family here at White Oak that values all people in all stages from all backgrounds. And I think that's actually one of the coolest things about White Oak. Um, if, if you know anything about churches or if you've been to different churches, um, you'll probably recognize that, that White Oak in a lot of ways is, honest, I think one of the more diverse churches in our city, which is crazy because Houston is one of the more uh, diverse cities in America. I think some people say it's even the most diverse city in America. And so I think as it compared to most churches, and of course, you know, we always want to be more, uh, White Oak is more ethnically as well as generationally diverse than probably a lot of places. And while that has its messiness at times, it's also a really beautiful thing. And one of the things in terms of being a pastor of a church like this that I've come to find is that the irony of diversity, and maybe, maybe you've noticed this in your life, the irony of diversity and entering your life into diversity and getting to know people that are very different than you is diversity shows you that actually in reality, we're not that diverse. Yes, we may be diverse in things I would refer to as like shallow things like the color of your skin or how many days you've been on this earth or like I'm left-handed, you're right-handed, you know, those, those kinds of things. We, we might have differences in, in those kinds of ways, right? Maybe different backgrounds and experiences. We have different amounts of money in our bank account, right? We're diverse in those ways. And yet, I think at the core of humanity and our souls, what we find is that we're all very similar, and we all struggle with a lot of the same things. And so this morning, what I want to talk about is one of those really deep things in our souls that I really think makes us the same and, and, and kind of have the same experiences in life. And, and one of those things, and I know this, right, because I, I love being your pastor. I love talking to you. I love counseling you. I love getting coffee with you and having you open your life to me. I love knowing what's going on in the life of, of my people. And what I find is that every single one of you in this room, myself included, you want peace in your life. And you want rest, and you feel kind of exhausted, and you feel kind of tired, and even on your best days, you're still pretty tired, right? Is that, is that somewhat close? When I talk to people oftentimes, the common notion is not, man, I'm killing it in life. It's awesome. I'm like as happy as I've ever been. Like, you know, I don't even know what it's like to be sad. I feel so fulfilled in my life. I just, man, give it up to the Lord. Like, that's not the common response I get. It's like I'm tired, I'm depressed, I'm worn down. I feel like I'm grinding it out in life, and yet I don't really feel like much is coming from my grinding it out in life. No matter who you are, no matter what you look like, no matter where you come from, you want peace in this life. And the other reality is, in, in terms of that, we also don't feel like we add up to what we should be in this life. I don't know many moms who think they're the perfect mother, right? I don't know many husbands or dads who think they're good enough. All of us show up this morning, and I know it's church, and so we're all putting up the front, you know, and we got our hair did to come to the church house, you know, and we rolled in today kind of ready to do our thing and say hi to everybody, and they say, how are you? You're like, I'm, I'm good, you know, that's what everybody says. And yet in reality, all of us feel like we don't add up. We're not good enough students if you're a student. You're not good enough employee if you're an employee. 
if you're a mom, a husband, a dad, or wherever you are in life, you feel like you don't add up. And so then here's your response when you feel like you don't add up. You got to work harder, work harder, do more, more, more. That, that, that's the response, right? And so as James and I often talk about, what happens is we create what we refer to as frantic lives driven by fear of failure. Frantic lives, I got to do more, I got to be more, I got to achieve more, work harder, 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 because I'm afraid that in the end I'm going to fail. And the scary thing is, is that even our parenting can be driven by a fear of failure. We, we desire to be good parents ultimately because we don't want to fail. We desire to be good employees because we don't want to fail or get fired. And yet what I want to offer you today is that fear is not a good motivation for your life. And that fear in a life driven by fear is not what Jesus has for you. But ultimately in the gospel, what Jesus has for us is a life of rest where we are fruitful and we do work hard. But ultimately we are driven by love. And so this morning as we go through our text, I'm going to walk us through it verse by verse. We're going to pull some helpful things out of this. And yet I want to be honest, this is not like a very big practical sermon. This is a soul sermon. And so my aim today is that as we go through the words of Jesus, which are so refreshing and so comforting, that something in your soul and something in your heart would be tweaked and that the overflow of your life would be different because of what you believe as a result of this text. So let's look at our text this morning. Let's start in verse 25. We're just going to go verse by verse through this text this morning. This is what Jesus says. And Let's be honest, um, in this text, we often want to overlook verses 25 through 27 because we want to get to verse 28 where Jesus says, come to me all who are weary. And so we'll get there this morning. Don't worry about that. Um, And yet what I want you to know is that these verses are really important in terms of that. And so in verse 25, Jesus says, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. And so as we begin this morning, what we see Jesus doing is he is basically saying, as he is teaching people how to be the new humanity, how to live in a new way of life, not the ways of this world, that we have to come humbly, right? So um, if you're here this morning and you think you have it all together and you think you're killing it, then let's be honest, this sermon, this text is probably not going to do much for you, right? This is for those of us who are honest enough to say, I need help. I'm weary, and I want Jesus to fill me with his life. And so he basically is saying, look, if you're going to hear these words, you've got to come to me open-handed. And so then he continues in verse 27 where it begins to get real, and he says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And the first thing that you need to know this morning is that Jesus is God, so therefore he can truly offer you rest. And this sounds basic, but listen, I have to start here this morning because there's a lot of voices in the world, right? And the reason why a lot of times I believe the word of God does not produce the fruit that we want or the effectiveness in our lives is not because we don't read it and take some heed to it but because we read the word of God and then we just mix it with everything else in our life, right? We are the internet generation. We're the YouTube generation. We're the cable television generation. 
If you're a senior adult, I think you were around when television kind of became popular. And back then, I've heard there was like five channels, okay? Maybe like three channels. Today, like a normal cable package comes standard and locked with like 500 channels, 500 voices, and every channel has stuff going on around the clock. And then you have the internet, and then you have your friends. You have all of these voices in the world that are conveying information to you, and there's a lot of people in this world that will tell you that they know how to help you find rest. And yet here's the question that we have to ask this morning. Where does their credibility come from? We live in a day and age where, like, if you're a really good singer, you get a lot of credibility, right? We live in a day and age where, like, if you're a really good rapper, right, that your opinion is, like, almost godlike. We live in a day where if you have really strong political opinions and you're good at articulating those, that those people get followings and platforms, we live in a day where if you're good at reading a script and acting, all of a sudden we, we look at these people as if they have all of this wisdom and all of this insight. And we read these books by these authors and, and who even knows if they have rest in their own lives and yet they're telling us how to build meaningful, fulfilling, and restful lives. And yet in our scripture, it's powerful because what Jesus is saying before he tells us how to find rest is he says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. And so if you've been in, a, in church for a while, you know that in the Christian church, we believe that there is one God, and yet that one God manifests himself in three distinct persons, and we refer to this as the Trinity. So there's, there's Father, the Son, and the Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And in our day and age, that can be a little bit of a confusing comparison and analogy because when it comes to a father and a son in our day, it's different because we're very individualistic. And so that illustration for us is like a father and a son are very different people because we think every person's unique and you have a destiny and a personality and, and go find yourself that, 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 that what a son becomes has really no correlation to who his father is. And so we view father-son relationships as very different than each other. And yet back in Jesus' day, a father and son in many ways were basically the same. The son would go on to inherit everything the father had. And the son, as he got older, would oftentimes adopt his father's profession or his trade or whatever he did. They didn't have the internet. He couldn't go search for jobs on the internet, things like that, right? There was no headhunters to find jobs and things like that. I mean, you had a small group of friends, a small group of family, and you would often do the job that your father did. And as the son would get older, he would even begin to be viewed as someone who could literally speak on behalf of his father. And so a son could be sent out to do business dealings for his father. And if a son shook the hand of somebody in a business deal, it was as good as the father's agreement to that same deal. And so what Jesus is saying in this moment, and what's confusing for us, he says, the father has handed over to me authority, all things he's handed over to me. And so what Jesus is saying is that I and God the Father are one. And so essentially what he is saying is I am the image, the human image of the invisible God. And so as we begin to live our lives and shape our lives and do things, we, we shut out the world, right? And we listen to what Jesus says because he knows what he's talking about. I, uh, 
I was looking for a book on a specific topic, and I did probably what you maybe should not do. Um, I just went straight to Google, and I typed in the topic that I wanted to learn about. And of course, because of this amazing internet generation that we live in, I typed in this topic I wanted to learn about, and literally there was a book, and the title of the book was exactly what I asked and typed into Google. And so I thought, oh, this is perfect. You know, this is the book that I want. I want to learn about this topic from this kind of person. So I ordered the book, and it came to my house, and I was excited to read this book because it was going to answer my question and give me all this clarity for this question that I had. And I read the book, and the first chapter was, as I often say, a dumpster fire. It was horrible. Like, the, the argument wasn't very clear, and I wasn't sure what he was saying, and it was very lofty, and it wasn't a lot of practical application. He, it, was just, it just didn't make any sense. You know, I was like, this is not really good. And just FYI, if you ever write a book, make sure the first chapter is awesome, okay? Because that's how you hook people. A lot of people's reading of books, it dies in that first chapter. It's like when you get a CD. I mean, I don't we have CDs anymore, you know. I know it's not the way we do it or whatever. Um, but back in the day, when I was growing up, we had CDs. And you buy a CD, and the first song better be good. Because I'll tell you what, if the first track is not any good, the ninth track is going to be horrible, okay? So you got to know that about CDs. And so I read this book, and it was really bad. It just wasn't very clarifying, wasn't very helpful. I was like, oh, I'll give it a second chapter. So I read the second chapter. Even worse, right? And then I got to the third chapter. I was like, maybe, maybe he just had a rough couple chapters. I read the third chapter. It was the worst one yet. And I was like, what in the world am I reading? Like, what am I reading, right? And I realized, true story, I didn't even know who the author was. I, I didn't even look up who the author was that I was reading. I just literally ordered the book online. It came to me. I started reading it. And then I started doing some research on the Internet. And I found out that actually the guy in the field that he was talking about had only been in this field for a year and a half. He hadn't even done anything. The only thing he had was a bunch of opinions, access to a publisher, and a really trendy, cool-looking cover, which always sucks you in. That's how books are. The, the, the cover gets you, and they do that on purpose, you know? And so it drew me, and I read this book, and I found out that the guy had a bunch of opinions, yes. And he had a bunch of stuff. But he had no authority, and I realized that no one even referred the book. You know, like when you like open a book and there's all these recommendations. Like if John Maxwell recommends a leadership book, like that's a good book to read because he knows what he's talking about. Nobody had referred this book. And yet it's funny, we do the same thing in our life all the time. Everything that you believe about everything came from someone somewhere. And the question is, who are you listening to? And the things that you're listening to, where did they get that from? And I'm all about friendship and community and having people in your life and, and seeking out wisdom. And yet, let's be honest, amongst all of us, there's a lot of holes in the things that we know. And so here's the reality. If you can get yourself to Jesus and in the scriptures, you will always find rest. And as we talk about rest this morning, maybe the most important thing to know is ultimately where rest comes from. There's a lot of opinions, and yet Jesus has the words of life. He has proven not only in his miracles and the scripture, but in the organization that he's built and the church and the influence. I mean, Jesus has demonstrated that he knows what he is talking about. It isn't just empty words from some blogger, right? Like this is legitimately the word of God. So we come to it this morning and we sit under it. Jesus has proven his authority in creation. And now he tells us how to find rest. So let's get to the good part. Verse 28. 
Jesus says this, and it's one of the most well-known verses in all of the Bible. Verse 28, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you want that this morning? You need some rest this morning? I mean, I see so many heads nodding. I mean, it's just like, yes, we need rest. We're exhausted. We're worn out. We're burned out, right? You see all those studies about the more people spend on Facebook, the more depressed they are. Like, how crazy is that? Like, that by watching other people's lives, it even makes us feel even worse about the life that we have, right? And yet Jesus here begins to claim to offer us rest. And yet I think in this verse, we have to pull two clear and obvious questions out of this verse. Number one, okay, so... What is it that wears us down in life? What is that thing that's wearing you and me down? And then number two, ultimately, in light of that, what will bring us the rest that we long for? So that's what I want to talk about. What wears us down and what brings us rest? And, and, and I, I was thinking about this week. Man, I, got, I think I got a good word for you today. I'm going to say this one word, and you're, you're going to probably think, yeah, I don't think that's what's wearing me down. You're, you're going to think, I don't know if that's me. Maybe that's for other people. I'm going to say this, and you're going to be like, I don't know if that's it, right? But I want to make the argument this morning that a lot of what wears us down and beats us down in life is, is an outworking of this one thing. And it's this one word, and Jesus hates this thing. Legalism. Say legalism. 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 And you're like, yeah, I don't know if legalism is like what's wearing me down in life. I don't know if that's quite what's going on in my life. And yet, I think what happens is when you understand um, in a very simple way, what legalism is, I think that you begin to see that actually this is what stresses you out. If I had to sum up legalism in a very simple way, and then we could talk on this, we could have huge theological debates on this, right? But in a very practical level, legalism says that ultimately your life and what happens and what you earn and how well your life goes is the result of what you and you alone do. That's legalism, okay? So legalism means that there's a law out there and that our success in life is based upon how well and how strictly we adhere to this law. So I looked up an actual definition of legalism. It says strict adherence or the principle of strict adherence to law or prescription, especially to the letter of the law rather than to the spirit or the heart behind the law. Legalism also is the doctrine that salvation is gained through good works. So that means that you are right with God and that God loves you because you do good works. And so therefore, the more good works that you do, the better you are and the more that God loves you. And the reason why this is why you're depressed and you're burned out and you're sad and it's not going well is ultimately because you believe you're carrying your life on your own and because you believe that if you make a mistake in life and if you're not perfect and you don't add up to what you're supposed to be, then your life is ruined. You're probably stressed about either your job or parenting or relationships or not having something that you need because you think if I fail at that thing, if things go badly, if this thing goes south, then I'm ruined then my life will not go well. Then I will not be what I'm supposed to be. 
And this is the problem that Jesus kept confronting over and over and over and over again in Scripture because these Pharisees and these Sadducees who were the religious leaders of the day would come to Jesus and they would try to act like they had it all together and that they were good people and superior to Jesus because of their outward life, and yet their inward hearts were darkened. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 23. If you have a Bible, turn there real quick with me. Matthew 23, verses 27 and 28. Let's read this real quick. This is a really cool passage, and Jesus goes to town on legalism. I love love this passage. Jesus says, woe to you. That's how you know it's going to be legit. Woe to you, right? We need to bring that phrase back in our world. Woe to you. You know, like I'm going to talk about my new daughter. Woe to you if you do what I tell you not to do. We need, we need to bring that back, right? That would be kind of cool. Woe to you, wife, for uh, that would not go well. So um, woe to you for stealing my blankets, wife. You know, that's, 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 we've got to bring that back. Jesus goes to town on these Pharisees and Sadducees and these religious leaders. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. So we're off to a great start. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. In our text this morning, when Jesus says, Come to me, you who are labor and are heavy laden, I will bring you rest. In the context of that passage, what Jesus is talking against is legalism. Because Jesus knows that legalism is literally poisonous to your soul. Legalism will destroy you. This is the same reason that ultimately religion will destroy you. Because what religion often teaches is that what happens to you and if you go to heaven or not is dependent upon your works and what you've done. And so you better be good enough and you better try, 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 work, work, work. Whereas the gospel says that your righteousness comes ultimately through Christ. But Jesus is talking to the people in the society who were like the cream of the crop. They had it all together. They looked great. They did good things. And Jesus' evaluation of them is you're like whitewashed tombs who outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanliness. And my question this morning for you is this. Is that you? You see, a life that does a lot of work and a little bit of prayer is a good sign that maybe you're focused on the outside instead of the inside. When we don't value the word of God, when we don't make time for Christian community, and yet we find the time to spend 50 hours a week at work, It becomes clear the things that we prioritize in life and what can begin to happen is we gain things of the world and burn ourselves out. But deep inside we are empty and do not feel the life that we desire to feel. And so here's the reality. Legalism says that your life, your reality, your end is dependent upon what you do and that's it. It's all on you. So you better be a good person. And if you fail, then you're a failure. That's what legalism says. And so since it's all about you and what you do, the response to that is to live a frantic life driven ultimately by fear. The core poison of legalism and exhaustion is the false belief that you are alone. And in your life, the lie of legalism will wear you down. 
Another question I have for you this morning is, are you trying to impress God? Are you trying to impress the people in your life? Don't do that. We're not called to impress anybody. We're called to love. Impressing people is fake. Impressing means you can do it and not really mean it in your heart. Means you act like you have it all together, but on the inside, you're a broken person. God doesn't love you because he's impressed with you. Inside, no, God's not impressed with you. God loves you. God loves you not because he's impressed with you. God loves you because God loves you. That's a profound thought. God doesn't love you because he looks at you. He's like, man, he's killing the Christian life, you know? He's like looking down like, man, you are doing so good. When scripture says he died for us when we were still dark in our sins. God loves you because of who God is. Not because of who you are. God loves you not because you have a good resume, but because he created you and created you to walk with you. And the lie of legalism breaks you apart from God in different areas of your life and says it's all on you. You're by yourself, so you better work really hard. And if you fail, there's no one to catch you. And so therefore, you become anxious and worried because you feel the pressure to perform in your life and to put up a front because you'd hate to look like you're falling behind in life in light of all of your peers. And yet the wonderful thing this morning is you don't have to live that way. There is rest. And Jesus tells us how to find it. And this is amazing. Verse 28, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden, Jesus says, is light. Whereas the lie of legalism will wear you out and burn you down in this life, the truth of the gospel will bring you rest and will bring you to life. The gospel of Jesus, the good news, is Christianity. If we don't know the gospel, we don't know Christianity. The core, central, life-changing, world-changing message at the center of the Christian faith is not be a better person. The core message of Christianity is not try harder and grind it out. The core message of Christianity is not have a better, more biblical morality than the people in your life. The core message of Christianity that makes Christianity what it is, is the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus and all of life being looked at through that lens. The gospel is that God created the world and that God created you and God is good and God is perfect and God is holy. But we took the life that he gave us and the humanity and the soul that he gave us and we rebelled against him. We belittled him. We ignored him. We did not view him as supreme and valuable. We went our own way in life and we sinned and we rebelled and we entered into brokenness and darkness because we walked away from the light and therefore we walked into darkness. It's, it's pretty logical, right? And the gospel says that God so loved the world 
that he sent his son Jesus into the world to die on the cross for your sins and to be raised to new life. And that when he's dying on the cross, he's dying for your sins, literally. And when he raises to new life, he's raising to new life to conquer sin and death and to offer you new life. And all we have to do is believe and trust in the name of Jesus. That is Christianity. That is what it's about. That's the whole ball game. And, and becoming disciples and following him is in light of the reality that we've given every single thing to Jesus. And the reason this gives you rest is because your life is not about what you've done. It's about what Jesus has done for you. And it's foolishness to the world, but the world is perishing. And the world doesn't know what it's doing, and yet the word of God lasts from generation to generation to generation to generation, and it will always be here. You see, legalism says it's all on you, so if you fail, it's over. The gospel says you are saved and you are right with God now and forever because of what Christ has done on the cross and in his resurrection. So try your hardest, do your best, become a disciple. But even if you were to fail and go down in flames, it would be okay because Christ is your righteousness. This is the gospel. And the reason this brings you rest is because Jesus says literally, okay, you're, you're worn out. Come to me. Jesus says, let me be your righteousness. And this is not like an excuse to be lazy in life. Like, well, I'm already saved and God's my righteousness and I'm right with the Lord forever. So I don't have to do anything. That, that, that's not it. We're called to be disciples. But what if you could live a life not driven by a fear of failure, but you woke up every morning driven to work hard and to do great things and to be a good employee, good parent, good citizen and everything because you're so motivated by the love of God to do great things in the world. But you know, hey, even if I fail, even if bad things come my way, I'm forgiven and I'm right with the Lord forever. It's a complete mental shift. It's a complete faith shift. It's, it's so different than everything else you think because the world says try harder, try harder, try harder, try harder, try harder. And yet the word of Jesus to you and for generations has been come to me. And so as we begin to draw to a close, I just want to simply give one more illustration of this. And I want to actually use the illustration that Jesus uses in the text when he talks about in verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. And now I've never been confused with being a cowboy um, and, uh, or, or a, a, you know, a rural guy by any means. I'm, I'm as city as it gets and I'm very, very proud of that fact as you probably already know. Um, and so honestly, I had read this verse my whole life but I actually never preached on it. And I actually didn't understand what it really meant. I, and to be honest with you, I kind of knew what a yoke was, but not really. Uh, but I actually have a picture up here of, of a yoke. Okay, so you'll see there's two oxen. And uh, the yoke is the thing that go over their necks. And what you do is you, you attach that via, via that little kind of circle thing to a plow. And when the, when the oxen move, that's actually what pulls the plow. And... Um, in the past, when I had read this text, I had always read it in the sense of like a yoke being like there was room in the yoke for one oxen to pull the plow. 
And so I'd always looked at this text as if like what Jesus was saying here is like, I'll take, you know, my yoke off of me and then I'll place it onto you. And then somehow he was going to magically make your life so much easier because as he says, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And so I thought that's what he meant. And yet, as I was studying it this week, it was really cool to find out that actually almost every yoke, and and in this term, what Jesus would have meant is that the yoke would have had two places on it. And ultimately, what Jesus would have been saying is not, he's going to take his yoke off of me and put it on me, and I'm going to pull my own life. But he actually says, hey, pair your life up with mine. Jesus says, I'm already pulling this thing. I'm already moving it. Now, I've got more than enough strength to do it. But if you want to come and do life with me, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Because what Jesus is saying in this image when he says, come to me, is I want to carry your life with you. The lie of legalism says you're pulling it by yourself. The imitation of Christianity and the imitation of the gospel is that Jesus would come in and carry your life with you. And this is where we find rest because what we find is that he's the stronger one in the partnership and he's carrying us. He's the one dying for our sins. He's the one raising us to new life. He's the one partnering with us in this journey. And yet one more really cool thing that I found in this illustration is that back in Jesus' day, between the two oxen, there would always be one that was way stronger and one that was way more seasoned and knew the master's voice on the plow and who could understand it. And so what they would do is they would take the weaker oxen and they would pair up the weaker oxen with the stronger oxen And as the weaker oxen began to get stronger and learn to pull it more so by him or herself, what would happen is the oxen would begin to learn because of watching the stronger oxen, how he responded to the master's voice, he would learn what to do. And so that in life, it's actually this amazing reality where Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That Jesus says he will teach us how to do everything in life. This is why he teaches us how to pray and why he says pray to God like a father. You see, we don't know that naturally. He says, this is how you are to live and this is what you are to say and this is what abundant life looks like and this is the sin that, that will destroy you. So repent of those things and come my way. See, the aim of our lives is to live a fruitful life with a restful heart. See, I want you, church, to do great things. I want you to be a light in the world. I want you to accomplish great feats. But I don't want you to be driven by fear of failure. Church, let's be driven by love. Because in this amazing verse in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. When you wake up tomorrow, I pray you feel saved and secure 
not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done. And I pray that you were motivated and driven by the wonderful love that he has and that even if you fail, he will be with you. That's my prayer for you. And that's how we find rest in the gospel. Let's pray. Father, would you bring rest in our souls this morning? God, would you remind us that it's in you that we find our righteousness and that if maybe we've kind of wandered away into this whole grinded out mentality, Lord, that we would realize that you call us to work hard, Lord, but not out of fear, out of love. God, I pray that you would silence the other voices in our hearts that that lie to us and that stress us out, the lie of anxiety, the lie of stress, the lie of worry, the lie of burnout, the lie of depression. Oh, Father, would you silence those voices in the hearts of your people? And would you proclaim the gospel to their hearts this morning that we are made right and that we find everything in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus and not in being perfect people. God, I pray this would be restful to your people this morning. I pray that this would help us to kind of chill out a little bit and to kind of step down and to know that it will be okay in the gospel. Father, would you quiet our hearts this morning? Would you speak the truth to us? Would you teach us your gospel? We pray all of this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.